Cool, cool. I always love seeing the different personalities at that, like all the introverts, as I say it, I see their faces going, ah, and all the extroverts are like, woohoo, it's really funny, all good. Cool, can you check up that first slide, Mr. Edwards at the back, is that good, James? Hey, so we're starting a new series, um, Cruising Through the Book of James, which to me is one of the most wild books in the New Testament, so James... I always think it's like James was like reading, so it's one of the first books, so none of Paul's stuff had been written, but imagine Paul's stuff had been written. It's like James read it all and he was like, Paul, just stop messing around. Let's just get to the guts of this Christian thing. And he just goes for it. It's like, oh, so I just love it. I love this book. Um, so what I'd love to encourage you to do is two things. Oh, and kia ora to podcast people. How are you doing? Good to see you. Well. Good for you to hear me. That sounds really arrogant. Um, and kia ora video people. Awesome of you connecting in. Good on you. Hey, so what I'd love to encourage you to do is two things. One, try and be here every Sunday, the next five Sundays. Um, and if you miss it, make sure you jump online so you can kind of get that big overview of the book of James because it's such a good book. Um, the other thing I'd like to encourage you to do, and I had zero faith when I was thinking about it this week, but I trust you all, um, to read through the book of James once each week over the next five weeks. So it's five chapters. It takes like 15 minutes. It's actually really short. So you could totally do it. So you could do a chapter a day, and that would give you two bonus days at the end of the week where you didn't have to read James. So, so I'd love you to be here if you can through the whole series and, and just read the book each week. It's a really cool book. And obviously, if you've got version, so if you have version on a device, um, it will read it to you. So you could be driving in the car or scootering around the city or whatever and have James in your head, which would be pretty awesome. Hey, so there's two key questions to ask, I always think, when you're kind of looking at a new book. And one of those would be, who wrote this thing? Because if we don't know who wrote it, we kind of don't know, where are they coming from? What's going on? And the person that wrote this book always just makes me go, oh my gosh. I always just find it amazing, so we'll talk about that. And the other thing is, who do they write to, right? So if we don't know who they wrote to, it's always a little bit like, what, who, what, what? But when we go, oh my gosh, that's who he wrote to, oh my gosh especially in this one. So, so we're going to read a little bit. So I've, I've, um, instead of having it read beforehand, I'm going to read a bit now, and then we'll read a little bit um, later on. So if you've got a device or a Bible or uh, you've memorized James, whatever, click your brain through. So James chapter 1, eh? good to jump over and um, read along. So I'm going to read just verses 1 to 12. That's kind of this first little section. So let me read this. It says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, which I think is one of the most crazy verses in the Bible, right? I need to explain that because it's like, really, James, are you mad? No, he's not. Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Mm. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He'll not rebuke you for asking. I love the way he writes it. It's almost like he's like, duh, as if someone calls out to God for wisdom and God's like, yeah, nah, I'm not going to do it. It's like, really? I love that. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Pretty, it's pretty like, oh, James. He's like, whoosh. Are you with me? He's like, whoosh. Yeah, all right. Yeah. 
Um, verse 9, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God's honoured them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Oh, I just love this book. All right, so let's kind of start pulling it apart a bit. Um, so the first verse has, it answers those two questions. Who's it to and who wrote it? So let me, let me chuck it up. Um, so here's the first verse, just so we can all see it real clearly. I'll read it again. This letter's from James, um, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pause and we're going to watch the video from the Bible Project. Who loves the Bible Project? I love the Bible Project. So they do a really cool overview of the book of James and they call it a crazy thing. And so the whole way through you're like, what? Just call it James. But you'll see why. So is that right, Jordan, if we watch that now, bro? Yeah, bro. Cool. It's about eight minutes long. So good, eh? So good. Hey, um... I'll check, make sure I check a link up on social media or something to that. So you can just, if you just go to YouTube, you can either just go to the Bible Project and they have all of these, um, or you can go to YouTube, they're all on YouTube, so pretty cool. Um, all right, where are we? Oh, we're looking at this first verse. So we want to answer these two questions. Who is the letter to, which they kind of explained, and, and who is writing it, which again, they kind of explained. So the first thing is that who's the letter to, and it's real interesting that James said, and you can see it on the screen, right, the 12 tribes, and a few, not many, a few commentators go, oh my gosh, he's referring back to the 12 tribes in Israel, and, he's, and it's like, no, 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 there's almost no probability that that's what he's doing. Um, most likely he's talking about the Jewish people that are scattered. So um, if you remember, I wrote the verse down, Acts eleven nineteen says this, meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, which happened a couple of chapters before this, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. So in this time in the development of the, the church, Gentiles, so non-Jewish people, are only just kind of starting to get told about Jesus. It's still very Jewish. And once Paul comes along in a few more chapters, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and it just goes crazy. But at the moment, it's more to Jews. And so what seems to be happening is that James is um, writing a letter to all these people that were living in Jerusalem, but through the massive persecution have now gone whoosh, all over Asia Minor, right? So he's writing a letter to them. Which leads us to a bit of the, well, which leads us to a bit of the who is writing this, right? And so one of the things we'll see, and you, if you go read through the book of Acts, this becomes really clear, is that James is the head of the church, right? So he's the, the head of the church. And you see it again and again through um, the book of Acts until he's martyred. And so he is writing a letter as the head of the church to his church that used to be with him, but now they've all spread out, and that's why he's writing this whole letter. So pretty cool. Um, this is the earliest letter we have, the, the earliest book in the whole New Testament. So written somewhere between 44 and 49 AD. So if you're kind of tracking, so Jesus, and again, this is always up for debate, but Jesus' ascension was around 33 AD. No one's really sure because remember they, the Romans mixed up the time, so we don't even know where zero AD is. You know that? Anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, so it's possibly only 10, 11, 12 years after the ascension of Jesus, which is kind of like, whoa, this is so close. Um, I love it. So uh, here's a quote from Matt Chandler, who's a pastor over in America, um, just reflecting on the, the writing of this first book, right? So I love this. Here's a, a quote from him. He says, Nearly 500 years has passed since Malachi had written the final words of Old Testament scripture. 
You don't just pick up parchment and decide to write a letter to God's people. This wasn't the age of blog, social media, or talking heads on news networks. And I love this last bit. The Spirit of God had an urgent yet eternal word for the church in that moment as well as for us. I just love that, eh? Just this urgent letter that James just feels like he has to get out, and it's so grumpy. Um, so back to the, the verse. So we know who's writing to these people that are dispersed, and it's important as you read the book to remember it would have been horrible for them, right? So at this time in, in um, the world, a lot of famine, pestilence, um, just horrible, horrible stuff. They have been chased out of their own houses. Most of them would have probably been scattered amongst um, family, friends, and dispersed with almost nothing. It would have just been absolutely horrible. And so James writes this really full-on letter to them. So it's important to keep that in the back of your head, that they're not you know, living, living it up. It's probably really tough for them um, when some of the things that we're going to talk about in a, in a second. So the other thing that always makes me go, whoa, is who wrote this book, right? So there's always a bit of debate, because he doesn't exactly say, but most people argue, like the majority of people argue that it's um, James, who is Jesus' brother, which is kind of wild, and like I said, James, who's the head of the church. And the thing that always blows me away when you think about him being Jesus' brother, it means he grew up with Jesus, right? So same mother, Mary, both of them had Mary as their mum. James' dad's obviously Joseph, whereas Jesus' dad is obviously God. Yeah, if you said Joseph, fired. So Jesus had two dads, if you like, earthly dad, heavenly dad. Um, so, but grew up together totally. And like, look at what he, how he describes himself. And this, every time I read this, it hits me. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, his brother, right? And every time I read it, I'm like, man, that's just such a grunty way to introduce it. So he could have, I wrote it like this. If it was me, and I'm pretty shallow and want people to think I'm amazing. So if I was, unlike you guys, if I was writing this, I would have written something like this. This letter is from James, the brother of Jesus, mic drop, walk off stage, smoke machine, and the head of the church. Because that would you'd read it and you'd be like, well, this guy's really important. Are you with me? I think it would be. But instead, because he's so humble, which just makes me go, wow. He doesn't mention that at all in the whole letter. No, in it does he say, I'm Jesus' brother, by the way, so you should listen to me. Or I'm the head of the church, so you could listen to me. It's just I'm a slave of God, a slave of Jesus Christ. I, I just love that, eh? Um, I just wanted to kind of jump on that for just one minute here. How do you introduce yourself when you meet someone totally new? <laughs> um, heaps of times we define ourselves by what we're going to say to that person. It might be your job or your status or your relationship, your kids, your study, whatever. I don't know. And so one of the things I thought is just stop for a second and think. When you introduce to someone, you meet someone new, and they're like, oh, hey, who are you? What do you say? Is it like, hi, I'm Craig. Jesus' brother, the head of the church. You know, is it like that real big thing or is it this kind of humble thing that, that James does? I'm kind of weird, right, if you haven't worked that out yet. Um, and being a pastor is really weird because people, a lot of people hate the church because it's hurt them or they grew up in a horrible church. So when you say pastor, I've had some pretty funky reactions from people. Some people, the most common one is like, what the heck does a pastor do? Which is always a really good opening to kind of talk about Jesus. Um, but heaps of times when I'm in a real non-church, if I'm in a churchy environment, I can play the pastor card, and it's like, oh, you're so important. But if I'm in a non-churchy environment, I often feel weird just saying pastor, and this is me being, like, really lame. And so I'll go, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, and I also oversee a cafe in Frankton. That's really amazing. And then we kind of talk about the cafe, and it's like, it just feels too weird just being a pastor. So what about you, eh, when you describe yourself, when you define yourself? Um, are you tight enough with God that the number one thing, the most important thing about you, like for James, 
is your relationship with God. He just says, I'm a slave of God. That's who I am. It's just real humble. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Or you're a bit more like me. <laughs> or you're like, I'm a pastor. Oh, and I oversee cafe. I'm kind of... I don't know. I thought that was an interesting thing to think about. Hey, um, because I care about you, time for discussion. Extroverts, woohoo! Introverts, ah! A um, couple of questions. So I'll just give you like a minute to have a quick think. So just choose one of them. So let me read these. Um, why is it so important to us that people think we're important? <laughs> so for heaps of us, it's really important. It's huge that people think we're important. And so when we describe ourselves, we want to try and sow some stuff in there that they're like, oh my gosh. Um, what might be a not weird, in quotes, way of introducing yourself as a Christian? So you might just say, oh, hey, I'm Craig, I'm a Christian. But a lot of people would be like, what the heck? So how could you introduce yourself in a not weird way? Um, last, and just choose one of these, right? Last question. If you were James, would you have snuck in a little brother of Jesus or head of the church <laughs> in the intro? And then I thought, ha, be honest. <laughs> so if you're visiting, awesome. Welcome. Good to see you. Um, it, people are just going to grab someone around them and have a little chat. If you are visiting or you're one of our normal people and you don't want to discuss, which is totally cool, if you stare at the screen, that's just the signal that maybe God's really talking to you and you just don't want to talk to people. So if you stare at the screen, people will leave you alone. Otherwise, pounce. So we'll just take like a minute, discuss one of those questions. Cool. Okay. Let us screw on. Let's got to jump into the book a little bit. So that's a bit of intro stuff, right? We know who it's to. Um, we know who wrote it. So um, this, I gave this chapter this title here, Thriving in Adversity, which is a little bit kind of cheesy. Um, because the main thing that James is going to talk about, and I'll show you like a little breakdown of it in a second, but the main thing he's talking about is how do you really, really thrive in the midst of everything falling apart. And so remember who he's writing to? People whose lives are literally falling apart. They've had to flee, they're being persecuted, and so he's writing to them. Um, just a side note, we just finished a, a series on Thrive, remember? How to Thrive in Life? Thrive, I thought that was a cool little transition. 
All good? Thanks, we have a clap, everyone else? Thanks a lot. Ah, hey, so this is what he's going to talk about, is how do we really thrive when stuff is really tough? And I, I'm going to be a goose, because I'm a goose when I preach, right? I don't know. But at the, at the same time, there's a couple of times where I'm going to stop and be really serious, because he's going to talk about some pretty grunty stuff. And it, I don't want to be that preacher that's up here that just says, when your world's falling apart, just trust in Jesus, yay, because I know it's just not that easy, right? So I'm going to be, there's some heavy bits, but there's some cool words. Hey, so I want to read, read a little story I was reading this week. Um, apparently this is a true story, but I don't know. And so this kind of sets up exactly what James says um, through the whole chapter, but in a kind of bizarre way. So um, this is from John Ortberg, if you know him, he's a pastor. And he said it was a true story, but I'm like, I don't know. So, so this is how do we as a Christian deal with trouble? So this is, this is what he wrote. Um, I read about a woman who locked her keys in her car in a rough neighborhood. She tried a coat hanger to break into her car, but she couldn't get that to work. Finally, she prayed, God, send me somebody to help me. Five minutes later, a rusty old car pulled up. This is funny. A tattooed bearded man, what the heck, <laughs> wearing, a, wearing a biker's skull rag walked towards her. She thought, God, really him? But she was desperate. So when the man asked if he could help, she said, can you break into my car? And he said, not a problem. He took the coat hanger and opened the car in a few seconds. And she said to him, you're a very nice man, and gave him a huge hug. And he said, I am not a nice man. I just got out of prison today. I served two years for auto theft, and I've, and I've only been out a couple of hours. This is really cool. She hugged him again and shouted, thank you, God, for sending me a professional. It's <laughs> so cool, eh? I love that. Um, one, of the, one of the key things James is going to say through this chapter is when hard things come, run to God. And that's what she does in a funny way, right? She can't get into a car, she prays, God sends a professional. I love that, eh? Um, when hard stuff comes, just run to God, right? Hey, so here's a little breakdown of the chapter. Now, this is from an American commentary, so of course it has to use a mountain of alliteration, right? So I love alliteration. I thought this was hilarious. So this is a little breakdown of the chapter. So rejoice in diverse trouble resist in deadly temptation and rest in divine truth. So you can see that's some seriously hard out alliteration. Um, so we're just going to look at the first two sections. So I just don't have time to pull apart the whole thing. Um, that last section, 19 to 27, is amazing. And so hopefully you'll read that five times over the next five weeks as you kind of read through the, the book each week. Um, oh, I was going to say too, so there's heaps of really good devos of this on version. So if you have the version app, just jump in there and, and go down. There's tons of them on James and find one that you really like. Maybe do a different one each week. Some of them are like five days. They have one for each chapter. Some of them are a bit longer. So kind of cool to be chewing away at it. So we're just going to look at the first two, and you can see trouble, temptation. It's like, whoa, okay, we want to kind of pull this apart a little bit. Um, so the first one is this one here. So rejoice in diverse trouble, right? Revo re rejoice in diverse trouble. So let me read. I just want to read verses 2 to 4 again just to get it back in our heads. Um, so if you've got your Bible, I always get to track along. Um, so this is verse 2. It says, uh, Dear brothers and sisters, and I love this bit, when troubles of any kind come your way. So turn to someone and say, troubles of any kind. Can you turn to someone? Troubles of any kind? Yeah. Was that? No. I give you 50% of you did that. Unbelievable, man. Uh, when troubles of any kind come your way, and then it's the crazy line, considering an opportunity for great joy, you're like, Really? <laughs> Um, and again, remember who these people are. These people have got famine, and it's just, and he's like, 
consider it joy. If you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, it's like, ah, oh, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, um, needing nothing. Man, I just love that, eh? Um, I love how James, so again, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he's writing this book. And so although he's writing to those people, he, we know he's also writing to us. And one of the things I love is that he does literally say this, troubles of any kind, and it's, to me that's super important because we are very diverse people. And what you consider a trouble, I might be like, really? Just get over it. But what I consider a trouble, you might be like, really? Just get over it. And so I love the way James is saying it. Hey, these are troubles of any kind. This is, this is something that hits you and you're like, whoa. Now, these troubles, the way he writes this whole little section, it seems to be external things that are hitting people. External things that are hitting people. And remember who he's writing to, so you know that some of these things are massive. Really, really huge, right? So, pretty massive. So, that, the simple question is, so when I'm overwhelmed with trouble, again, trouble that hits me, and you might look at me and be like, really? What, what should I do? And the, the simple answer <laughs> that James says is just run to God, right? Um, just run to God. <laughs> uh, and this is one of those serious bits. I want to just say this really carefully. This is not easy. When, when your world is really falling apart, remember the people he's talking to, right? When your world is really falling apart and stuff's hitting you, if someone says to you, rejoice, feel free to slap them or <laughs> poke them in the eyes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, wow. But I love what James is saying, right? And, and I'm going to unpack these verses in a minute, but it's, it's simply he says this. He goes, when your world is falling apart, when troubles of any kind come, you literally have two options. One, you can fall down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you can fall down that rabbit hole and allow that trouble and that worry and that fear and that concern to overwhelm you, and you will get sucked down the rabbit hole. <laughs> or you can rejoice, which I think you do by going, <laughs> and go, I'm going to trust in God because he's got me <laughs> in this. May not feel like it right now, but that's my only other option. Either I fall apart and I get, or I trust in God, right? And again, I'm not saying for a second that this is really easy, but um, yeah, you know what I'm saying, eh? Um, I got a quote. It's a bit of a long quote, but I really love this, so I need to set this up. So this is by a guy, Alan, a, a writer, pastor over in America, and he's reflecting on Psalm 3. So I'm going to read Psalm 3 a little bit later on, but I love the way he talks about this. So just to kind of give you a heads up. So in Psalm 3, David is, he's running from Absalom who wants to kill him and he's got a giant army. So David's literally being pursued by a physical army that wants to destroy him. And in the Psalm, he calls out to God and he says, you know, everyone around me is saying, ha ha, where is your God? He's not going to rescue you. And then David kind of goes, no, I'm going to trust in God. And I love how Alan takes that. And so he's talking about when you have troubles, trust in God. So I've put the whole thing on the, on the screen, so I'm just going to read this. It's just two slides, um, so I'll, I'll read this. I found this super helpful for myself this week. So one of my continual battles is the one that happens in my own heart and mind. I continue to discover and fight negative patterns of thought and emotion that are shaped less by Jesus and more by the world around me. I, I'm going to read that again, right? Let me go back so you don't sneakily keep reading on. I just love what he says there. It's like this option thing. It's like the world is screaming at us at the moment. Fear, fear, fear. Live in fear. Everything's unstable. Everything's uncertain. Look at the economy. Look at the price of fuel. Look at the price. Ah, freak out, freak out, freak out. And we can either go, whoa, down that rabbit hole, or we can go, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is going to be hard, but this is a chance for me to trust in God. Because last time I checked, he has got me. 
You with me, eh? So let me read that, read that, just that underline, I underlined it, right? I continue to discover and fight negative patterns of thought and emotion that are shaped less by Jesus and more by the world around me. The words of David's psalm ring true for me. Like his enemies, my negative thoughts and emotions insinuate that I'll be finding no help from God. Such thoughts and emotions pester me and hound me. They rise against me. They whisper that I am abandoned and alone. They oppose everything good that God intends for me. You know what he's saying, eh? It's like when those negative thoughts come on you, they can just drag you down, and it feels like, where is God? Everything's dark. Everything's hopeless. Here's the second part. I, I love this, right? And then he goes, so I am grateful when I'm awake enough to respond as David does with a hearty, but you, O oh Lord, are, and then it's like, whoa, <laughs> what is God? He is my shield. And he's quoting and paraphrasing from Psalm 3, by the way. He surrounds me with protection. He is my glory. He makes my life shine so that it has impact. He is the one who lifts my head. He encourages my soul in the face of discouragement or accusation. When I feel surrounded by trouble, like David, I can cry out to the Lord. He answers my cry with holy help. He is my strong friend when the thoughts in my heart and head feel like enemies. How good is that, right? I just love that, though, and I love, I, I deliberately put it, obviously, on two slides, because it's like, either I can listen to the thoughts of despair and whatever, when trouble hits me, or like James, I can go, it's going to be hard, but I am rejoicing, because this is an opportunity to trust God and see my faith grow. It's going to be hard, it's not easy, it's going to be hard. I, I love that, eh? I just need to pray, right, because I'm... Again, I know this is easy to preach, and some of you sitting there, I know you have huge stuff going on, and kia ora, podcasts and video people, I know some of you have got huge stuff going on. I don't want to say this in a light, simplistic way, so let me, let me pray for us. Oh, yeah. yeah, almighty God, I, I mean, I know in my gut and my soul that this is so true. I know when I get worried and I'm stressing and I'm freaking out, it's really easy to go down that that rabbit hole of where is God? He doesn't have me and I'm freaking out and I just I spiral down, God. But I love how James says, no, don't do that. Look at it as an opportunity to call out to God and wait on Him and see His blessing and His care, His provision. You know, I really, Jesus, I just call out to you now in, in your name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for anyone who just feels like that, they're like, man, I am going down the rabbit hole. This world is just too much. I pray that you would be true to them, that you would be that shield, you would be that protection, that you would draw them back out of that horrible place they're falling into and, and show them that you have them, show them that you're with them. Yeah, we want to be people whose faith grows and gets strong so that as other troubles come, we're just quicker to run to you. <laughs> so, yeah, I just pray a blessing over those people. God, thanks we have such a cool community here too. I know heaps of times the way you drag us out of a rabbit hole or protect us from falling in the rabbit hole is by good friends, good community here who lift us up and pray with us and encourage us, give us good ears to hear them and to hear them speaking uh, your words to us. Yeah. yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, so that's the, the first bit, right? Um, this whole trouble and again it was external and so I'm going to read a bit more but the second bit is this here resist and deadly temptation so temptation is super different from trouble right and I'll explain that but let me read a few verses so 
Um, we're going to read 13 to 18. So again, if you've got your Bible, leap in there. I'll start on verse 13. It says, um, and so again, temptation, let, let me just set it up in case you're like, what? So the way James is talking about it is trouble is that we can cause trouble because we're complete muppets at times, but he's not saying it's sin. And the way he talked about it is it's more external things that are hitting us, right? That makes sense. Whereas temptation always comes from within. And he's going to say that real clearly. Um, so verse 13, and remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. God's never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chooses to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. <laughs> this is the last line. Every time I read it, I'm like, Wee! I'm going to talk about that in a second, but I'll try not to get too excited. Um, I love this. So it's, this is really interesting, the, the way James talks about this. So um, there's the, I chucked up in the message. So the message is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. I, I love it. Eh? Um, and he paraphrased verse 14. He says this, The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. How good's that, eh? It's like, yeah, we know. And we get tempted and we give in to temptation. Oh, my gosh. Um, the, James uses a really weird word in here. And so the ESV translates it as entice. Uh, no, the ESV translates it as lure. And the New Living Translation translated it as entice. And it's a word you would have used in, in James' day for someone who went fishing and literally used a fishing lure. And so when you're, when you're looking through it, all the commentators are like, what a bizarre word to chuck in there. So I know nothing about fishing. So who loves fishing? Anyone? Okay, so I don't like any of you, really. I just hate fishing. And so when I was reading this, sorry, I do love you. I love you all. That was really horrible, sorry. Um, but I love the non-fishing people better. Anyway, um, and so when I was reading it, I was like, I literally have no idea what a lure is. I, I think it was a thing you chuck in the water? And I was like, i got nothing. So I texted Ross. So if you know Ross Savile, he's like the biggest fishing nerd I know. And so him and I were texting back, and I figured out what lures are. So because I love y'all, in case you're like me, here's some pictures. I know it's small, but it's more the little pictures, right? Look at the, the little pictures of a lure. So a lure, and this is with my very limited text from Ross and a few Googlings, um, is something that replaces the bait. So if you're trying to catch a fish that wants to chase something rather than bait just sitting there, and the fish is like... Hello, bait. How are you doing? Chomp. It's a, it's a fish that's like whoop, 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 whoop. If you're a fisherman right now and you're like losing it, just forgive me. It's all good. Um, that was my understanding, right? So these things, instead of bait, you chuck this on the end, you throw it in and you kind of reel it in and the fish is like, whoa. And so when you think about that and you think about sin, you're like, oh, that is a great word, James. Good idea. Because so often it feels like that, right? So often it feels like sometimes temptation just hits you and you're like, whoa. But most of the time, temptation kind of grows and it's like it just draws you in. Are you with me? Everyone's looking at me like, maybe it's just me. Okay, when I get tempted, it feels like it's drawing me in. Um, and a, just a random thing with this, you can now buy scents, so smells, that you can put on your lure. I was like, what? That just seems so deceptive. And they were like, you can buy all these different flavoured or whatever smelling things and you put it on your lure and you chuck it in. And I was like, wow, the poor innocent fish. So. Um, just a funny story. I, I um, heard this story this week. I thought this was really funny. Um, so a group of guys were out fishing, and one of the guys cut the end off his finger when he was cutting bait. And so he quickly seared it on the barbecue, as you do when you're super manly. And I was like, 
two things. One, whoa, what a man. And two, ew, I hope they cleaned that before they fried things because I was like, this human or something. But then he thought it'd be hilarious. So he took the bit that he'd cut off his finger and he used it as bait. And then he caught this giant fish. And I was like, what on earth? And then I was like, I hope they didn't eat that fish because it ate him. And I was like, what is even happening? Anyway, wow, that kind of freaked a few people out. I'm kind of sorry. But anyway, I was going to talk about that, but the look of your face, oh, we'll move over here. Forget that story. Um, I, I just love how James says this. It's like sin entices, right? Um, temptation entices us. And if you remember the, the bit I read, he said the temptation, if we don't catch it, it, it grows and it actually becomes sin. So there's nothing wrong with being tempted, right? All of us are tempted. Jesus was tempted. We know that, right? We see that in Hebrews. We, we read that. Um, there's nothing wrong with being tempted, but it's when we give in to temptation. And James says, man, that gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death, right? Um, and I don't think he's meaning death as in you're now cut off from God forever, but it's death in your relationship with God, and we know that. When you've got sin going on in your life, God is, just never feels so close. And it's the classic, he hasn't moved, you've moved. You've allowed stuff to come between you and, you and God. Um, and, and again, it's like I said, to me it's the same kind of thing that I said with the trouble thing, when that trouble's coming, I have two options to either go, oh my gosh, my world's falling apart, God's deserted me, ah, and fall down this hole. Um, or I can go, no, nah, I'm going to trust in God, right? Like that lady with the car story, God help me, set a professional. Um, and you see the same thing here with temptation. And, and again, James is saying, when you're tempted, you've got, I think, a nanosecond, and I'm going to talk about that a bit more in a, in a minute. When the temptation grows, and it grows and grows and grows, and again, you have a choice. You can either give into it, which we know will lead to sin. And that messes up us. It messes up our relationships. It just messes up so much. Or we can run to God and go, God, help me, which is what he says in verses um, 17 and 18. And it, he writes it kind of weird, so I'll explain it, right? And again, if you think of it as these options, it kind of makes a bit more sense, I think. So this is verses 17 and 18. This is what came straight after the temptation and sin and death. He goes, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our heavenly Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He, choo he chose to give us birth. Chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. We, out of all creation, became his prized possession. I love what he's saying, and it's literally like this. Again, these two options. It's like, when I am tempted, I have a choice. I can either give in to the temptation, which is sin, that's going to mess me up. Or I can trust that God has a good gift for me. God has blessing for me. Where am I going to run to? Am I going to give in to this? Am I going to run to God? And I love how he says the next bit. It's like, why did he talk about the lights in heaven, stars and moon? And in the reading I said, it's because he's saying, man, go out. Like in their time, seeing stars and stuff would have just been mind-blowing, no light pollution. But he's saying, go out and look at the stars and go, oh my gosh, the one who created that has good gifts to me. The one who created that wants to bless me. What am I going to choose? Giving into temptation or this blessing from God? And then he says, God never changes, and he kind of carries on. I love that last bit. We are his prized possession, which I always think is wild, right? How cool are giraffes? Seriously. They are weird. Like, they are weird. Are you with me? When God looks at a giraffe, he's like, eh, I like it, but you are my prized possession. Oh, cool, eh? Pandas? Who's a panda person? Anyone? Man, for some reason I watched some panda videos on YouTube and now every other video is like these idiots. They're idiots, pandas, they're hilarious. And very cool. God looks at pandas and he's like, yeah, I like pandas, but you are my prized possession. And I'm like, man, I just love that, eh? All right. So being, this is my serious bit on this one. Um, 
So a big part of my job is catching up with guys and talking about life and God and sin and all that kind of crazy stuff. And one thing that's come out again and again and again is that, and I don't know you ladies, so you ladies can figure this one out, right? For us guys, most temptation, and whether it's gluttony or looking at porn or overworking or whatever, it's like it grows, like James says, it grows, right? And it builds and builds and builds. And so many guys I've talked to have said, there's like this nanosecond where I finally make a decision to either give in or to fight. And I've been fighting, 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 but then there's this very, very clear point where I go, it's too hard, I'm giving in. Or the sin is so cool and the temptation is so cool, I'm just going to give in and do the sin, whatever it is. Or not. And it's like so many guys I've talked to were like, man, God gives us this split second where we either give in or we don't. And I'm like, to me, that's exactly what James is talking about. We know, like I've been saying, we know if I give in, it's going to lead to sin and da-da-da-da-da, whatever that is. But we've just got to fight and go, God has got me, right? God wants to bless me and give me good gifts, right? And again, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying fighting temptation is like, oh, shot, Craig. Thanks, greatest sermon ever. Next time temptation comes, I'm just going to be like, Tchah. So what I encourage you to do is decide beforehand. Like, we all know what sin gets us, right? We all know what sin gets us. It's different for all of us. So if whatever that one or two or three, <laughs> you're really bad, nah. Whatever that sin is, make the decision now. Next time that temptation comes, I'm choosing to run to God. So that when you get that split second of like, you're like I've already made the decision. Oh, good God. I just want to finish by reading Psalm 3. Um, that was the one that, that that guy was talking about before. And I just love this, eh? So let me read this. Again, it's on two slides, but I'll read it. And then I'm going to explain it because the ending of it's hilarious. But when I explain it, you'll be like, right, that's good shot, Craig. Hopefully. So here's Psalm 3. It's pretty short. Oh, Lord, I have so... Remember, this is David, right? Getting pursued by a literal army. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, ha, ha, na, 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 na. That's me inserting that. God will never rescue him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. <laughs> um, before I go on, I don't want to minimize your struggle. You don't have a giant army trying to literally chop your head off. <laughs> but for some of us, the troubles and the temptations are pretty significant, right? I love that. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. And then this is, this is how David finishes it. I lay down and slept. I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies <laughs> who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. I love this. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. So I just want to finish with this, and I'll pray. And, and I'm gonna, I want to reread this in the way that that guy, Alan, was saying, where he said he doesn't have physical enemies around him, but he has thoughts and emotions that are just messing with them and so it's kind of like this I lay down and slept yet I woke in safety because the Lord was watching over me I'm not afraid of 10,000 horrible thoughts who surround me on every side because that's what it can feel like right arise O Lord rescue me my God slap my temptations in the face <laughs> shatter the teeth of my troubles and my temptation victory comes from you O Lord May you bless your people. Let me pray. Yeah, kia to it. Thanks. I just love this psalm, eh? I don't know who this Alan guy is, eh? I just pray a real blessing over him. What a cool insight that he brought to us from the psalm. I mean, so often it does feel like our troubles and our temptations are just 
too much. <laughs> and then James says, man, when tr troubles come rejoice because we know if we can stay strong, it's such an awesome opportunity for our faith and our trust and our reliance on you to just grow, God. Yeah, again, I just pray a blessing. I know this is like real easy to read and sit in church and be like, oh yeah, it's so cool. But when it really hits us, temptation hits us, troubles hit us, man, it's really hard. So again, I just call out to you in the name of your son, Jesus, for, for that strength, God. That strength to make that decision to not go down that rabbit hole, to not give in to that temptation, but to run to you. Yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.